What's that? Took your table. Yeah, but if I if the table were here, I'd be behind the tree, which might be better for optics, but uh, <laughs> hard for teaching. Um, welcome everybody. Good to see you all here today. Um, lots of good stuff today. Um, we welcome some new members at the uh, the early service. We're going to welcome some new members at the late service. Um, you, there might be some in and out from the ministry center here because. Uh, uh, we have a Lutheran Campus Ministry event this afternoon, um, bringing some kids over here and sharing the love of Jesus with them, and you know, just kind of, you know, and feeding them, and feeding them. That that might be the key, really. Um, if you feed them, they will come. That's right. Exactly. Sometimes, yeah. So, well, let's pray. And uh, oh, I didn't change the date on the. Uh, on the handout. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, today is not November 28th, in case anybody was wondering. We pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, make me worthy to understand the profound mystery of your holy incarnation, which you have worked for our sake and for our salvation. Truly, there is nothing so great and wonderful as this, that you, my God, who are the creator of all things, should become a creature, so that we should become like God. You have humbled yourself and made yourself small that we might be made mighty. You have taken the form of a servant so that you might confer upon us a royal and divine beauty. You who are beyond our understanding have made yourself understandable to us in Jesus Christ. You who are uncreated God have made yourself a creature for us. You who are the untouchable one have made yourself touchable to us. You who are most high, make us capable of understanding your amazing love and the wonderful things you have done for us. Make us able to understand the mystery of your incarnation, the mystery of your life, example, and doctrine, the mystery of your cross and passion, the mystery of your resurrection and ascension. Blessed are you, O Lord, for coming to earth as a man. Amen. That's a, a little prayer uh, found um, from Angela of Filogno. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, notice uh, a woman. And uh, um, 1248 to 1309, uh, she uh, was a leader of a uh, what we would probably call a, a nunnery and um, wrote about, you know, the faith. And, and so, you know, Got some beautiful prayer, uh, got a beautiful prayer right there from her. Um, don't know much about her really, um, but uh, uh, that's definitely a good prayer. So, um, we're working our way through Romans chapter 7. Uh, we'll see what happens today in terms of getting to the end of it because uh, we're close. So, uh, and, and just to uh, get us back up to speed, Romans 7 15 through 20 says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within, excuse me, within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So last week we ended with verse 15, so we're going to pick up at verse 16 today. Um, the statement that says, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. You know, he, he's basically recognizing I'm not keeping the law. I'm not obeying uh, the commandments of the law. Uh, but he's agreeing with the law. You know, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life where you've said, um, you know, yeah, I did it. And I know it wasn't right. And I did it anyhow. Um, you guys get really quiet when I talk about things like that. And I think yeah, it's just me. Uh, <laughs> Um, We're all remembering. Yeah. So, 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 what is this? What is this passage teaching us about our wrestling with sin? What do you think? We need to be doing it all the time. Okay. It doesn't end. No, and we don't win very often. Okay. Sometimes we make progress, but we generally, after we make progress for a while, then we slip back. Okay. We win because we have Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right. So we win because a victory has been won that is therefore given to us. Yes. yes. It's our victory because it was given to us as a gift. Mm -hmm. It's not our victory because we didn't. We right. sorted it all out and we over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Confess our sin. Yeah. Yeah. So what else does this teach us about wrestling with sin? What do you think? You have to know what sin is. Okay. Which means you need to know the law. Okay. Yeah. So we do need to talk about the law, don't we? Mm -hmm. And know. just because we mess up doesn't mean we should stop trying. Okay. This this is a lifelong pursuit. Mm -hmm. And we should probably use that as a help to be kinder to other people when they mess up. That's a good thought too. Yeah. When we recognize um, when we recognize our own sinfulness, uh, that is an opportunity to sympathize mm -hmm. with the brokenness of others. Yeah, he that is without sin cast the first stone, <coughs> and they all turned around and left. Yeah, yep. Anything else come to mind in terms of you know this? Uh, I agree with the law that it is good. And the, I don't do what I want. Yeah, like uh, a little sin or a big sin doesn't matter. A sin is a sin. Right. And we have to confess uh, that we are sinful by nature yeah. and uh, submit ourselves to God. Yes. I think this idea at the very end is really important that the law is good. Um, the law is not just out there in this way that it's like pressing down on people. It's not there to um, oppress people. It's not there to uh, you know ruin people's fun um, or, or to keep them from being all that they can be or all they want to be or or any of those things. Um, the law is good because it, it shows us the will of God and. Uh, and the will of God is always rooted in His, love. in His love. Yeah, yeah. 
we should we should pay more attention to the little kids. I think we have rules and things where we want you must do this, you must not do that, and it doesn't make sense to them. But we still keep telling them that they have to be that way, and we have to look at that and think, you know, that's the same way that we adults are. We aren't any better than the little kids are. Uh, why won't you let me do that? Why are you telling me I have to do that? It's the same thing. It's just different laws for different behaviors, but it's the same thing, and we're the same way as the little kids are. Yeah, it's because it's the same sin. Mm -hmm. It ultimately roots back to the first commandment. I want to be God. Be God, yeah. You can't tell me what to do. Right. Um, I'm working my way through uh, um, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy again. And uh, if you haven't read this, these, these three books, they are very... They're very worth your time. Um, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis and, and, uh, and J.R.R. Tolkien used to go back and forth, you know, because Lewis's stuff was too in your face in terms of proclaiming the Christian faith, and Tolkien wanted it to be more, more subtle. And um, there is definitely that I am talking to you about your life of faith. And... Um, the second book, uh, uh, Paralandra, um, it reimagines uh, the beginning of a world and the tempter ending the world, entering into the world. And uh, one of the statements in there is basically, you know, the idea that everybody wants to be their own god, and that is the very first temptation. That that you know we would be our own gods in our lives. So, um, Isn't that Satan's first sin too? I think so, yeah. That he does not, he, uh, he does not want to be, that actually gets explored in the first one a little bit, um, out of the silent planet. You know, that um, he does not want to have that servant's role. He wants to be God. Yeah, yeah. All by conjecture, yeah. The uh, the Lord of this planet that never speaks in the uh, in the books, not directly, anyhow. So, uh, but uh, definitely uh, interesting books to think about in terms of our fallenness um, and and uh, what it means to be made in the image of God, but then to have this bent within us. Toward you know the temptations of this world, and and first and foremost to be God ourselves. Mm -hmm. So. And you can see it with little kids; they get put their hands on their hips, and they put their head back, and they look at you and say, "You can't tell me what to do." And then. And that's so different from us as yeah, adults. Yeah. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> one of the one of the most common sin. Uh, most common say in the world is uh, what you're talking about is like proudness and boastfulness mm -hmm. and that is like Satan's one of the uh, I would say like heaviest weapon to trick us because that um, that regenerates a lot of hatred between Christian people because we as a team are powerful we as an army are powerful and that's how God, probably that's how God created us. Like he created us according to his image. And he wants us to act like a team. 
to obey his um, to obey his um, teachings and um, to follow his commands mm -hmm. and that's how probably Satan tricks us but we are so blessed that uh, the Bible the Bible reminds us and the Bible teaches us how to handle all these kind of sins and we are also so blessed that Jesus Jesus is on our side and he helps us to um, um, to uh, to fight against those sins so yeah and I would take it a step further that to say not only in my experience he helps me to fight but there's another sense of it that he fights for me yes yeah you know so when we pray in the Lord's Prayer uh, deliver us from evil um, or actually thy kingdom come uh, the explanation that we we have in in the catechism is that we pray in this petition that God would break and hinder every evil plan of the devil the world and our own sinful nature no, notice who's active that God would do this work because we're not capable of it you know we're gonna feel that wrestling we're gonna feel that fighting but without God in the midst of that there is no fight yeah it, it, it's over before it starts um, Paul continues and, and, and uh, he he makes this interesting statement and he says so now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me and I think that this this um, this distinction is, is important because Paul is continuing with this um, the spirit flesh dichotomy you know recognizing that the corruption of our, our, our flesh means that at some point these bodies die and yet we live forever you know we, we look forward to the resurrection when we receive new bodies but these ones that we're in right now you know they go to the grave you know earth to earth ashes to ashes dust to dust right um, and uh, uh, and as he talks about this, uh, he recognizes that the eternal part of him it, it continues on, even though this earthly part of him is going to go into the ground. And so he he uses this as an opportunity to uh, to to recognize this wrestling between me and the sin that is within me. Now, he, he's doing this for the sake of helping us to understand the wrestling. You know, he's doing this to, to separate from how God intended us to be. Because, you know, if you were to, if you were able to go back to the Garden of Eden, you know, Adam and Eve were perfect in their flesh as well as in their, their, their spirit. We have never experienced either of those except for in the redemption that Jesus has given to us. And our feeling of that tends to be in the forgiveness. It tends to be that inward experience. Now, does that ever show outwardly? Yes. Absolutely. Have you ever done the right thing with a good motivation? 
Not often. Yeah. But you've done it. Yeah. 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 Thanks be to God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would say praise the Lord. Yeah, that works too. Um, so, again, this isn't the, uh, the laugh-in, the devil made me do it thing. You know, he, but he is saying that he has this, this problem inside that affects what's going on on the outside. And this wrestling goes on in the inside, and then it shows forth in, in the outside. And so he says, nothing good dwells in me. This is just another way of talking about what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. You know, what do dead people do? Nothing. Nothing. Rot. Rot. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so he, he sees his sin for the hateful thing that it is. And this is something that it's, it's peculiar to the Christian life. I'm not saying that other people never experience guilt for what goes on you know, in, in their inner life, but I am saying that once you know what sin is, it will bother you. Once you know Jesus' forgiveness in your life, your sin will bug you. That apart from this salvation, if you don't think that it's sin, is it going to bug you? Probably not. You know, I haven't done anything wrong. Why would it <clears throat> bug me? What's the big deal? Yeah, except that the law of God is written on our hearts. And so sometimes it's like a defense mechanism, right? Sometimes people do think that. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a, a confused statement, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it's more along the lines of, I'm saved. Why would I do that? Why would I keep going back to the sin? Right, Sam? Yeah. You know, so he recognizes the desire as this new creation. As somebody who's been given a new life, he recognized the desire, but not the ability to live the new life. And that's, that's frustrating. It's it's not a good feeling to feel impotent. It's it's not a good feeling. Um, you know, so he said he says to wish is present in me, but to do the good is not. I mean, that's an absolute statement of, of futility. The desire to do good, the wish to do it, that it, that's there because of what I've experienced in Jesus. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. weak. I procrastinate too. Got all these good intentions, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. Yeah. I'll get to it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, uh, which is why we pray to God all the time that uh, God, uh, you are God. I'm not. You are in control. I want to submit my body, mind, soul, and everything to you. Yeah. You take over, you take the control, and uh, help me to get through this. Yeah. Whenever we feel like uh, we are weak, and that's another blessing that God has given us. We can pray to Him, asking Him anything, whenever we want. And God wants us uh, to be 
I mean, this is this is like wonderful that God wants us to be His friend. Yes. What friends does? They walk together. They do everything together. So that's what God wants us to be. So we pray. Absolutely. And He answers those prayers in a very powerful way. Yes. That is very true. He does not always answer our prayers when he wants us to. So, Paul is putting uh, our desires and our actions kind of in a, a, a comparison here. Um, you might know that my, uh, my, my brother is in the Army, and uh, he served in the, uh, the 10th Mountain Division, and when he was in the, uh, the 222nd um, over in Afghanistan, they had a, a, a saying, facta non verba, which means deeds, not words. Yeah. You know, and uh, we recognize this in this world. We, we want to see the action. We don't want to just hear the words. We want to see, you know, the, the, the proof is in the pudding, as we might say, or, or um, practice what you preach, right? That, that gets thrown at, at us from time to time, I'm sure. Um, and so we understand that it is a problem when our deeds and our words do not match. What, what do we call that? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, yeah. Right. You know, that, that, and that is, that is one of the things that when um, people in the world look at the church, that, that is one of their charges against us. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And to a certain extent, we are. And I was just going to say, and are we sometimes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not always. A lot of times I think what's taken as hypocrisy is we sin. We don't do the things that we want to do, but that's what we aspire to, that we know we should treat our neighbors better. We know we shouldn't lie. We know we should you know, be respectful of our parents. We shouldn't hate. We shouldn't do all these things. We know that, and it's not that we're saying one thing, but I'm saying this, but I really don't believe it. Right. Um, and, and, and I've known people that have done that, that they belong to a, a group that are very strong non-drinkers, but that's just something that they do. They have no problem having beers with the guys and stuff like that, not that there's anything wrong with that, but the philosophy that their group espouses is teetotal, yeah. and they say, well, that, you know, yeah, I say that, but not really. Yeah. Um, See, that's exactly what my dad used to say. If you take a Baptist fishing, make sure you take two. Yeah. Because otherwise he'll drink all your beer. That's true. Uh, but if there's two, they won't drink any of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry to our Baptist friends. That's just a little joke. <laughs> we laugh at ourselves, too. Um, but uh, um, So is it hypocrisy because as Christians we confront our failings? And so it's out there, whereas uh, if you're a non-believer and maybe the law is written on your heart, and, but your response is more to hide it and to cover it up and to deny it, and, and therefore they don't think there's a problem with hypocrisy there? They, they say that, well, if I understand it rightly, which I may not, because I'm not, you know... Yeah. Um, you know, they look at the way that we condemn sin. We, as you said, confront it, you know, within ourselves. But sometimes we don't really confront it within ourselves. We confront it out there. Uh, yeah. 
you know, and, and that becomes a, you know, we're complaining about what's going on out there, but it's right here too. You know, and um, this, this is one of the things that I keep coming back to, like in the whole sexual revolution thing, you know, the church has screamed loud and hard about homosexuality and has said very little of late about divorce or living together before marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, is it one standard or are there different degrees? You know, and I think the scripture teaches that there's one standard. And, uh, um, and because then we put different weight on that, that becomes a, an issue of hypocrisy. Um, and, uh, um, and I think another part of the problem is that we've misrepresented what does it mean to be a Christian? It, it doesn't mean that we behave perfectly. It means that we are forgiven. And so when we find ourselves in these situations where we know that we've done wrong, you know, our, our instinct and our impulse tends to be to defend ourselves. Whereas I think, the, the more that I, I read you know, the scriptures and, and the more that I, I look at the way that um, the early church has interacted with the world, I think that maybe the better response would be to be like, yep, mess that one up. In other words, confession. You know, um, you know, so you get ticked off with your neighbor and you say some things that maybe you shouldn't have said. You know, yeah. what, what do you do with that as a Christian and your witness? Can you go over there and apologize to them? Yeah. You know, or maybe you don't want to confess, and you know this in advance, and so you watch your tongue in, uh, in advance. <laughs> I, you know what? I think that that's valid. Absolutely. You know, uh, it, you know, you're talking about living a, a, a life of faith, yeah. where you are making a course correction preemptively. Yeah. Wow, what a radical idea. <laughs> you know, it, it it's repentance before you have to say I'm sorry. Yeah. Because the word repentance doesn't mean confession necessarily. It, it means to change the way you think and act yeah. in light of what Jesus has done for you. So you're in that situation and you want to tear this person a new one. <laughs> and you change the action based on the forgiveness that you have. It's kind of like having the fish on the back of your car. You know, you really probably shouldn't cut them off or give them the finger. <laughs> yeah, or Christianity, but you know, it's kind of like uh, maybe I have to think twice because they know I'm a Christian, and that's not how a Christian should act, even though that's how I really want to act. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, you know, what do we want to represent? Uh, you know, I think I think representing you know good behavior is a good thing, but also representing being forgiven and forgiving. That that's that's the core, and I think that that's a lot less comfortable. Because when we're, you know, when we behave well, it's much easier to look down on other people. And we feel proud of ourselves, you know. Oh, yeah. I did the right thing, you know. And, yeah. And then when we screw it up, it's like, eh, no. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything wrong with feeling proud of yourself for that? 
you know, it. I'm always cautious with pride. Yeah, that's, because the yeah. scriptures warn us against it. But I think that there is a good and healthy type of pride that is rooted in gratitude. And isn't there a difference between being proud and being pleased? Yeah. You can, can be glad you did the right thing without yeah, absolutely. patting yourself and saying, look at how good I am. Right. Just be glad this time I did it right. Right. And giving thanks to God for... Yeah. Helping you do it right. Yeah, and, and, and not necessarily in that, that overly... Um, I'm better than you. No, that's, that's not quite what I'm thinking of. Um, so one of the things that sometimes I get criticized for is being self-effacing. I don't take any praise very well. I, I always want to give credit to other people. Um, and... Uh, um, and maybe you've experienced that from from me. Um, and there's a kind of this aw shucks. At some point, that's really not helpful. And it's really not true. You know? Mm -hmm. You know, God made you to be the person with the gifts that you have, and when you use them to his glory, you know, thanks be to God. I'm right there in that sweet spot. That's where I belong. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's okay to recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I learned in Bethel Bible series was the grace to receive, which I do not have. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It is. It's much more fun to be a giver. It is. Because mm -hmm. it puts you on top. Yeah. It, it doesn't allow the other No, no, say that again. Say it that. puts you on top. It puts you on and top. It doesn't allow the other people to use their gifts. Right. You know, so... Um, you know, over the years, uh, we have been in situations where we have been very much blessed by uh, people around us, and sometimes it's pretty darn embarrassing. But how do you, uh, you know, so we're supposed to love our neighbors, right? So somebody's giving and somebody's receiving. I don't want to be in their debt. Yeah, oh, isn't that awful? And there is, and there is different ways to love our neighbors. Yeah. One of the one of the way that we follow, like sometimes we like walk around our walk around our neighborhood, mm -hmm. and we like uh, notice that if if somebody's uh, front yard needs to be uh, mowed or leaf blowing or something like that, mm -hmm. and we do it like, um, hey, uh, let's hey, uh, I mean it's like okay, what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna do now, mm -hmm. hey, let's help our neighbor. Yeah. So we just go there and we. Uh, mow their front yard or like blow their leaves and make it like look beautiful and pretty mm -hmm. and they'll they don't even know like how it happens that's fine that's what yeah. we do generally it's it's people though that we that we've seen out and about that might would struggle with these things sure, sure. it's not just just randomly doing it but yeah. recognizing you know that they may ha may need help yeah. with these these things and just do it so this is this is in the same vein. We're getting a little bit of a tangent here, but I, so we want to be the ones who love. We want to be the ones who give. We don't want to be the ones who receive. I actually think that this might be part of um, uh, our attitudes about suffering and aging. You know that we don't want to be a burden on our children. You know, we don't want to be a burden on society. 
I mean, leave aside for a moment that I'm pretty sure your, bur your children were burdens to you. How do we honor the, the, the gift to love someone if there's not someone to receive the gift? It makes me think of a little more kind of parenting, but like it travels into then us as an adult. Like I have a 13-year-old son, so I read a lot of emotional <laughs> behavior things right now. And uh, so if you like take your kids and their expectations can be high where they don't want to let you down because you've always looked perfect. So we, that's so instilled young in us. You're raising these children. So you want to show them the right way. Yeah. They have to know that you're not perfect. Or they think they have to be perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, so then as we get older, yeah. it's even more of a big, like, ooh, how do you let that shift now and allow them to help you? Yeah. You know. So in our society, um, we really value independence. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you should be able to take care of yourself and, and all of those things. And I think that some of that is good and some of it is right. We should be contributing members to our society when, as much as we can, right? We, we live for the, you know, to love our neighbors, to, you know. Um, but what if you're genuinely in a position where you can't? So look at, look at how we have handled aging in our society, uh, this is a relatively modern thing, you know, in years past. And I'm not advocating and I'm not shaming or anything like that. You know, I'm just, I'm just looking at, at what's there. You know, um, in the past, as you know, our parents aged, at, at some point if they couldn't take care of themselves. We did. We did. And now how do we handle that? We move the, now, is there a time and a place where people need treatment that you cannot offer them in your home? Yes. Absolutely. You know, some of this makes sense that out of love, you put them where they can be the most safe and to get the best care that they can get. Um, but I see it on the senior citizen end of things, you know, where they put themselves in a, a difficult situation, you know, financially, because they don't want to be a burden, you know, and all too often, you know, people get moved into a, a, a assisted living or something like that, and then no one comes to visit them. It's, you know, we, we, we tuck people away. And if we tuck them away, we don't deal with them in, in a way where we love them. And, and love isn't about the easy times, is it? Love is in the hard times. That's when it gets really tested. It used to be that you had a lot of multi-generational families together. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, you lived with mom and dad and grandma when you were little. And then when they got older, they lived with you. And grandma was there. Yeah. Mostly because grandpa died earlier. I don't know why. He didn't <laughs> live as good a life, I guess. But grandma was there, and grandma was considered to be part of the family and was given credit for having an intelligent mind. Yeah. And it worked out real well. But now we, everybody wants to be independent. Yeah. And they expect grandma to go live by herself. And that's, you know. Yeah, it's the expectation that, that I am all for if, uh, if grandma can live by herself and she wants to live by herself, 
Two thumbs up right there. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this conversation uh, from time to time um, about my mom driving down to visit. You know, it's, it's, it's a six and a half, seven hour drive. You know, and uh, it, it, it's a lot. And, uh, you know, mom, do you feel like you can do it? Well, if I take my time, you know, yeah, well, why wouldn't you, right? You know, you know, and, and uh, you know, live your life, enjoy. You know, if you're independent, be independent, you know. But it, there, there's definitely that, um, that part of our society that, that um, we don't do a good job of connecting generations. Right. So... That was, a, that was a maybe a painful tangent. So, but and I'm please don't please don't think that I'm thinking, um, you know, like monolithically or anything like this. These are um, these are complex issues that require some thought and some care and some sensitivity, you know, to very individualized. They 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 can, yeah absolutely. Um, so, so in Romans because we tend to focus in Romans on uh, um, justification by faith, that this is a gift that God gives, you know, nobody earns this. Um, does God care about our actions? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I, 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 some, Wait. Somehow, yes. He definitely does care about our actions, yeah. Yeah. And notice the frustration and the futility is it okay to experience these things, frustration and futility in the life of faith? Yes, I mean, it's just do. Paul did. Yeah. yeah. Read the Psalms. <laughs> David did, yeah. You know, this, this, this sense of I'm not getting it right, it's a normal part of the Christian life. Um, and... Uh, this is this is another thing that I've observed in more more modern times of the church that we want to be all about victory we want to be all about the success we want to be the big numbers and we want to have you know the the large crowds gathering to us and, and you know and, and everybody's just overcoming all the time and you know to quote that you know, great theologian Charlie Sheen winning 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 I think uh, I think God also uh, God always follow our actions. He is with us all the time, and yes. he's like, okay. So in the spiritual warfare, here you are facing some struggles. In the spiritual warfare, there you facing some tra- some struggles. Uh, okay, you are weak in this part, in that part, and he um, not only follow us, he makes us way more mature to handle those situations yes that's what god does for us but i think that sometimes the maturity is going to recognize the inability mm-hmm. to to do the thing mm-hmm. okay you know, and so part of maturity sometimes is a frustration mm-hmm. with our inability to live up to what god has called us to be mm-hmm. even while we're very grateful and holding on to the promises that he saved us. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, there was um, a time when I was reading through the Hebrews, 
and um, line just, you know, and they just hit you for you've read it a million times, but it hits you. And it was um, 10 14, I believe, where he says, By that one sacrifice, and my um, version said, By that one sacrifice, Jesus um, made forever perfect in the sight of God all those whom he is making holy. Yep. And that absolutely transformed that feeling of that frustration and everything. You're perfect and yet not yet perfect. And you're he's yeah. still working on you and in you. And it just lifted such a burden because when I would fail, and especially if repeatedly fail or something, I would be just so frustrated with futility and am I saved, you know, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And that verse just uh, freed me. Excellent. Yeah, and I just and I just thought I'd share that. It's just a I would agree with that. I sometimes feel the same thing. Oh, I sin every day. I'm the worst sinner in the world. Am I never God going to get it right? Help, but he's not because he already saved us. He's right. won the victory. So right. Absolutely. And you're in good company when you think that you're the, the worst sinner in the world because St. Paul said that about himself, that he's the chief of sinners, the least worthy, the least of the apostles. You know, and, uh, you know, he, in this awareness of our sin, it, it, it can be overwhelming. It, it can lead us into despair. Um, but I think that when we experience that frustration and that sorrow, that that is an opportunity to hear again the message of the gospel. If I don't have any sins, I don't need forgiveness. If I don't have, you know, this brokenness within me, what do I need Jesus for still? You know, and I think, I think that in modern Christianity, we don't necessarily embrace those negative emotions in a healthy way. You know, um, I think it's kind of like the Christmas season. We want Christmas carols all the time. And there's nothing wrong with Christmas carols. I'm not saying that there is. And, and if you think that I am, watch the video that I posted last Wednesday. But there's something about you know this this time of anticipation. People always hate Lent, other than the soup suppers. <laughs> they do help. They they're like, oh, why does it have to be so depressing? And you know. What if I already feel depressed and there's an opportunity there to express that in the life of the church? Not just generally depressed, but sad and sorrowful because of my sin. I, I actually think that's an important part of our lives. It's, it's a, a, a reality. It's one of the things I love about having seasons in the church here. Um, that there are times for these emotions of sadness and, and frustration and sorrow and uh, and it's something that if the message is always you know that you're succeeding and you're always overcoming but then you look at the evidence and go well no I'm not <laughs> where do I fit yeah you know or am I really a Christian you know that's the question that you were asking earlier right and yeah. you don't have the freedom to do it because in our self-help kind of society everybody's got to be happy all the time and if you're not happy 
you, you don't have the freedom to be on, I am really struggling. And yeah. let people, again, serve you, which again, we also hate. So, you know, it just, it can, and then you feel even more isolated and then it just kind of spirals down. Yeah. So th there are some sociologists who have studied the way that Christianity is, is functioning right now and, and uh, not, not all the way across the board, but they've identified this movement called moralistic therapeutic deism. And I've, I've mentioned that here in, in the past, um, but don't miss that word therapeutic. How often, you know, if you're looking at Christian literature or you're watching a, a sermon from another church, I don't know why you would bother. I mean, it's all here. Uh, but uh, there's good stuff out there that's worth checking out. Um, but uh, notice how often, like some of the churches, their, their theory, their uh, their sermon series are, you know, you know, eight steps to a better marriage, or you know, uh, you know, improving your self-esteem, or, or these kind of therapeutic type of messages, you know, and I, I hear this, you know, in terms of, you know, what people are, are desiring out of a worship service. Pastor, that service helped me to feel better. Is it good to feel better? Yes. Maybe. I think it is. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, I generally like to feel good, but if I'm not confronting something in my life that needs to be confronted, you know, if you've got a brain tumor and taking some aspirin helps you to feel better. Does that fix the brain tumor? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, so I, I, I had a professor at the seminary, um, William Schmelder. Everybody called him Wild Bill. Um, he was my first um, homiletics professor, first preaching professor. And so I had him the year that he retired, and he was really cranky. <laughs> he had nothing good to say about anything. Um, God bless him in glory among the saints. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he is uh, uh, with Jesus now. Uh, but uh, he, he would say from time to time, you're going to love it when people come on and say, boy, pastor, that sermon really helped me to feel good. Or I really like that sermon, pastor. But the real compliment is, man, you kicked me right in the groin with that one. <laughs> Has anyone ever said that to you uh, after a sermon? A gut punch. I've, okay. I've gotten, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we can keep it in mind. Yeah. And... Through the crankiness and through the snark, I do think that there is a, a truth there. Um, Pastor, you really convicted me, but that's only half the job. It's not just convicting. You also comforted me with the message that Christ's forgiveness is for my sin. You hit something that's going on in my life and you spoke forgiveness to it. That's that's gold right there. You know, you, you hit me where I live and you spoke forgiveness right into my situation in my life. And uh, I, I, you know, I think that that is really part of the key uh, for you know, what it means to be a Christian. 
Um, I've used the phrase here before, similius de epicotter. I'm going to continue to use it all through this because this is really um, the, uh, the, the, the seat of that teaching, um, that we're at the same time saint and sinner. Um, and we have this tension all through our life as a Christian. We are declared to be forgiven, and yet God's word says you are a sinner. How do, how do I reconcile that? Don't. They're both true. Let the paradox be the tension. You know, in the sinful self, we, you know, we recognize that we're defiant, that, and we insist that we do nothing wrong. We self-justify. And yet, in our renewed self, we are repentant, and we recognize the sin that we do is wrong, and we're left only to trust in Jesus for our justification. Both of these situations are declared to us by God's word. We're declared sinners by the law, and we're declared saints and justified by the gospel. And so Paul recognizes this reality, and he says, it's no longer I who do it. Because as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so what we're doing is we're confessing a reality that we cannot see with our eyes. We're holding on to what Jesus has said about us in, in both of those areas. We only see one of those, really. And so we cling to that promise of his forgiveness and salvation. Look at that. I didn't even get close to finishing. <laughs> no, uh, no. Once in a while. So, yeah. All right. Um, let's pray, and then it's off to church, or wherever you are heading from here. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would bless us as we live in it, to live in that forgiveness every day, to confess the salvation that you have given to us. And we pray that you would help us to reflect your forgiveness and your love and your salvation um, that we cling to for others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, folks. Thank you.